Well, today we are wrapping up the book of Ruth. We are in the middle, actually towards the end of our summer series, One Thing Remains, and we have already had the opportunity to go through the book of Jonah, and today we're going to finish off the book of Ruth. And I tell you that because if you've missed any of those previous messages, especially over the past couple of weeks as we've walked through Ruth, we're going to have a couple of tie-ins today that you may go, oh, he referenced something, I, and I don't know exactly what that is. And if that's the case, just go back to uh, newlifexn.org, watch some of those messages that can help fill in some of those gaps uh, if you're interested, because the book of Ruth is an incredible book. It's one of my favorites. Pastor Chris said very similar things about the book of Ruth. It's one of his favorites. It's also one of my favorites. But as God so often does, when, even if you've been through the Scripture who knows how many times, when you go through it again, you, you learn new things, right? And one of the things that I've just really been taking away as, I, as we've walked through Ruth, Ruth is, is how God works in and through His people, the faithfulness of His people and how, how He actually has the opportunity to work in and through His people in such a way that others come to know Him and, and grow to be like Him. That's really my major takeaway from the book of Ruth, and I hope that we walk away with a greater understanding of that as we look at the final few verses today. Now, if you have missed any of the previous weeks, we're just going to fill you in very quickly on the highlights of the story of the book of Ruth. Ruth really focuses on the story of, of two women. Ruth, who the name, uh, the, the book is named after, right? Obviously. The other is a woman named Naomi, who is actually Ruth's mother-in-law, and we encounter her within the first few verses of the book. Because Naomi, along with her husband Elimelech, decide to leave their hometown in, of Bethlehem because of a famine and go to a foreign country called Moab. And so they leave and they take their two sons with them. We don't know how long they're there, but it's long enough that the boys get married. They marry two Moabite women. And unfortunately, while they're there, Elimelech dies as well as the two sons. They all die, and Naomi is left in a foreign nation with two daughters-in-law, and she says to them, I'm going back home, you stay here with your people. Now, the two girls, Orpah and Ruth, listen to their mother-in-law, and Orpah agrees that that's the best idea, but Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm going with you. And it's one of my favorite passages in the book of Ruth, when Ruth binds herself to Naomi. She says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. What she's saying in that moment is, I'm rejecting everything that, was that used to be in my past. It's no longer pertinent. It's no longer relevant. I am going with you, and your people will be my people, and I will accept and worship your one true God. It's a pretty pivotal turning point in the story. So they go back to Bethlehem, and Ruth gets to work. She goes into the, into the fields nearby, and she's able to glean. We've covered that in previous messages, what that looked like. But she's working hard to gather grain, and she just so happens to be gleaning in the field of a guy named Boaz, who Pastor Alex helped us understand a few weeks ago was a redeemer, which means that he could free, literally help to bring back into the family Ruth and Naomi. Last week, Pastor Chris highlighted all that that meant for Boaz and how that was a pretty big deal. He actually was risking a fair amount, but he did the right thing. He stepped up to the plate and he redeemed Ruth. And today, we get to see what happens as a result of Ruth's actions, Naomi's actions, and also Boaz's actions as they live out 
their last few verses, really, of Ruth, but there's several years they get covered along the way. As we walk our way through Ruth, one of the things that sticks out pretty quickly is how much sacrifice is going on, right? There's a lot of sacrifice, and I would argue that the passage that we're going to read today outlines what I think is a pretty big sacrifice, but I'll be honest, I missed it for years. Didn't realize it until I really sat down and studied this passage. And I think we can be excused for that because, like, Ruth leaves her people, she leaves her way of life, she leaves her gods behind, she follows Naomi, she serves her, she sacrifices for her, and then Naomi kind of works her matchmaking magic, right, with Boaz, she serves her daughter-in-law in that way, and Boaz serves them and their family by redeeming them. There's folks just sacrificing and serving the whole way throughout. As Pastor Alex said a couple of weeks ago, all this sacrifice and service actually helps to point us to Jesus, who sacrificed in a way that none of us could, who served us in a greater way than any of us will ever understand, because he loved us before we had to do anything. I love this quote that Pastor Chris shared, and I want to read it today because I think it encapsulates so much of what we're going to cover today in the book of Ruth as a whole. He said this, God loves us before we do anything. Jesus died to redeem us because he loves us and wants us to be in relationship, be in relationship with us. Our salvation, the gift of eternal life, is free. Then, once we have a new life, a spiritual life given to us by Jesus, we will live differently for the rest of our lives. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible blessing that as we come into relationship with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we get to live in a way similar to what Jesus did, sacrificial living, servant living. We get to do that. And we have actually stories, Ruth being one of them, that show faithful people worshiping the one true God, sacrificing in ways that should encourage us, that should push us forward in our faith as well. Now, one thing that we know from the book of Ruth is, even though they did the right thing, it wasn't always easy, right? Ruth's life would probably have been easier if she just stayed in Moab, married back within her clan or her family there, and carried on with life. It wouldn't have been easier for Naomi, but it would have certainly been easier for Ruth. Boaz's estate would have been much more secure if he hadn't accepted Ruth and Naomi back as part of the redemption process. I don't think we realize how hard it was to feed people back then. It's still hard today. But could you imagine back then knowing that there were more mouths, more folks that you had to care for and there were going to be children, Lord willing, as a result? Boaz stepped up to the plate. He did the right thing, but it wasn't the easy thing. They actually exemplify what's our take-home point for today, and it's the one point that I'm going to seek to make as we look through the Scripture, and it's this. Often the right thing and the honorable thing are the hardest, but God is glorified through it all. Often the right thing, the honorable thing, they're the hard thing, but God is glorified through it all. Now that's an easy statement to say, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, right? Actually, I like the first part because I like hard things. I like honorable things, right? That's why you have superhero movies. They do the right thing. They do the honorable thing. But the second part, I don't love that as much because I like when I'm glorified. But that's not what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn about how God is glorified in and through that. Because as we live 
lives according to what God has called us to do, God uses that to bring about His redemption. As Pastor Chris has said throughout this series, God uses people to show His redemption to other people. So let's see how Ruth is used to bring about the redemption of others today. Turn with me, if you would, to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 22. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, the words will also be up on the screen, and and we will be working through a passage or two, a, a scripture or two at a time, a verse or two at a time, and then we're going to look at the context, what it meant then, what it means for us today. But before we get into the Bible, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for the work of your hand. Lord, I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive your truth, your word. Lord, that it would change and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 says this, So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Now, last week, Pastor Chris outlined everything that Boaz had to do to make this marriage possible. There was a sandal exchanged at one point. Some of it's a little odd. But what we do know is that as a result of Boaz's actions, they're married. They're married. And he and Ruth begin to live out their lives together. And like many married couples, they go home on their wedding night. They played Scrabble Maybe a real long game in Monopoly, you know. And then as a result of that, there's a baby. That's how I explain it to our kids, (laughs) right? Now, what's interesting here is that we go, well, of course there's a baby. That's what happens after these marriage arrangements happen. But that's not what the Bible says here. Actually, it says that God enabled Ruth to have a child. One of the things I love about the book of Ruth is God's fingerprints are all over it, right? There's a couple times in the book of Ruth where the phrase, and it just so happened, appears. And it just so happened. And if we read through the book of Ruth, and if we're reading through pretty quickly, we're like, oh, that's just coincidence, or that's luck, or no, it's not. That's the divine hand of God working in the midst of all of these circumstances. And he's working even here. He enables Ruth to have a child, which is a blessing in and of itself from God. We forget that a lot in our culture. Children are a blessing and something that ought to be celebrated. And God enabled Ruth to become pregnant with a boy. A lot of times we think that we write our own script, that we craft our own story. And to some degree, we do. We play a part and we play a role in all of that. But that shouldn't make us think at any moment that God doesn't know what he's doing. Ruth points that out over and over again. God has a purpose in all of it, right? And we get to partner with him for his honor and his glory. He's got a purpose in all of it. It's not haphazard. He's got a plan. And we get to partner with him for his honor and for his glory. It's a pretty incredible thing that we get to partner with the God of the universe. And sometimes when we get to partner with the God of the universe... The result is cause for celebration. A baby's a cause for celebration, right? Let's read about it in verses 14 and 15. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, 
who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Now, there's a lot of things in Ruth that to our Western modern eyes don't make sense. Like there's people laying at other people's feet. There's a sandal exchange. They're throwing grain in the air, all of which were like, I don't know. Maybe they were hitting the wine. I don't know what's going on. But this makes sense to us, right? How many have brought home the baby and all the ladies gather around? We had a baby in the, in the front row last night, and they were just passing that poor child around. <laughs> That's what we do, Right? It's a baby. Not the first one, but this is the third one. So they pass that one around. And so they want to come see the baby. And so all the women in town, they get together and they probably have finger sandwiches and they play that goofy game that you tell me about with clothespins or something. I don't know. You, you ladies know what I'm talking about. I've been told stories. I've peeked behind the curtain. So anyways, they're celebrating this child. And they're celebrating the fact that this child is born. And if you're like me, you're reading through the passage and you're like, wow, this is great. Where's Ruth? We don't know. What they're saying here is like, Naomi, a child has been born for you. Now, sometimes when I read through Scripture, I put it off to the side and I go, how would I feel in that moment? And if I'm Ruth in that moment, I'm like, um, hi. Played a minor role, small part. That's not what the ladies here are saying. Guys, what we have to understand is that when this child is born, he's not viewed, he is viewed, but he's not only viewed as the son of Ruth and Boaz. He is viewed as the heir of Elimelech. He's part of that line. Boaz redeemed Ruth, but he also redeemed Naomi. And when the heir was born, it would be the job of the heir to care not just for his mother, but for his grandmother as well. Remember I said like we might have glanced over something that's pretty important? This is it. Because through their faithful actions, Boaz and Ruth produced an heir for Elimelech who would provide for Naomi as well as for Ruth. Here's the thing, guys, and this is the big sacrifice. Ruth gave Naomi her child. Now, the boys still lived at home, probably. They probably all lived together in one home. But she gave up that boy for her grandmother, for her mother-in-law, for his grandmother. If you think we're making a little bit too much of this passage or in the interpretation, the ladies in town saw it that way. The ladies in town saw it that way. I can't think of a greater act of sacrifice than giving up your child. I can't. But for any of us who have come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the story ought to sound familiar of a loving father who sent a son to live a life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we should have died upon the cross for our sin, our redemption, to care for us who could not care for ourselves, not fully. That's the story of Jesus, isn't it? We can't read through Ruth and not see Jesus in some of these passages and in some of these pages. Ruth made another great sacrifice as she shared an heir 
with her mother-in-law. Now, like I said, the boy would have lived at home with Ruth and with Boaz, but ultimately, Ruth had to do the right thing here. It would have been culturally expected for her to do this, but let's be honest, how many times have we read through the Bible and there's people that know what they should do, but they don't do it? You guys remember like five weeks ago when we talked about Jonah, right? What, who was Jonah? Jonah was a professional prophet. That was his job. And God said to him, Jonah, as part of your job, which like the definition of prophet is to declare the truth of the Lord. That's what prophets do. It's like the first bullet point in the job description. It's not even like all other duties as assigned. It's the first one. He's like, I want you to go do your job, and I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nope, not doing it. If we would compare Jonah and Ruth for a moment, it's a, it's a crazy contrast. Jonah, a son of Israel, part of God's chosen holy people, a man, a professional Christian, right? Like he's a prophet. It's his job. He talks to God. And God says, go, and he says, no. Eventually he does. Then you have Ruth, a woman, a Moabite, a foreigner, who leaves all that behind to be a part of her mother-in-law's people, to worship the one true God. And this arises and she goes, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Here's the crazy thing. We think a lot of this is like, well, that's what should have happened. And it is. But it must have been exceptional because of what the women in town said. Because they noticed. They noticed. Remember, God uses his people sometimes to show redemption. And in this moment, God used Ruth to show a little bit more of who he was. And the ladies noticed. They said, this daughter-in-law of yours is better than seven sons. Now, you have to understand a little bit about ancient Israelite culture here to understand what that means. In, in that time and in that context, seven is a number of perfection or completeness or wholeness. So what these ladies are saying to Naomi in this moment, this daughter-in-law of yours is better than any number of sons you could have ever had. This daughter-in-law of yours is better than any man. That is high praise. It's the highest praise because in that culture, men were very important. They were the redeemers. They're the ones that were supposed to provide, ideally. But in this moment, a daughter-in-law is acknowledged for what she's done. And as a result, they worshipped Ruth. No, that's not what the passage says. They noticed, they knew what Ruth did, and as a result, they praised God. They praised God. Now, they acknowledged what Ruth did, but ultimately, the praise, the worship was given to God. Friends, that's what happens when God's people live according to God's plan. God is glorified and praised. We get a glimpse of God's love for us, his sacrificial love. Throughout this entire summer series, our goal has been to focus on the one thing. And what is the one thing? The one thing is God's love. And just as Pastor Chris has mentioned throughout that God can use his people to show redemption, 
I would also say that God can use his people to show his love. Because in this passage, we get a glimpse of what God's ultimate love is for each and every one of us. Thanks to her selfless actions, Ruth showed the folks in Bethlehem a little bit more of what it looked like to be loved by God. Every year, I put on my Christmas list two things that I know that I'm not going to get. Uh, I want a time machine, uh, and I want a crystal ball. I do. I know I'm not going to get them, but I figure if Jeff Bezos has his way, we might eventually get one of the two, right? And so, I'd love to have a time machine go back in time to Bethlehem and just sit and watch the people of that town come to know God in a deeper and fuller way as a result of the testimony of these folks ultimately displayed in Ruth. It's the right thing. It's the honorable thing. It was the hard thing. But God was glorified. And there was celebration. It's a little surprise that Naomi Naomi responded as she did. It says this in verse 16. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast And she cared for him as if he were her own. I love this image because it's an image of hope. That's an image of hope. Think about it. A couple years ago, Naomi in a foreign land. Her husband dies. Her sons die. She's left destitute by herself. If we could get in that time machine again and go and interview Naomi, I don't think her outlook would be very positive. Probably, Probably pretty bleak probably pretty grim. And yet, because of the actions of some folks in her life, a son is born. Now, I struggled with whether I should, you know, even say that this child was Naomi's salvation. Like, he couldn't save her soul. But he would provide for her. Even as she aged, that child to her that she was cuddling in her arms was her hope. And again, you can see the parallels, right? Like how many of us were destitute? How many of us were perhaps in a place where the outcome looked a little bleak until we came to have the Son of God in our lives who gave us hope, redemption, and unlike this child, not only could provide for us, but can save our souls and renew our spirits. Again, As someone who's known Jesus for as long as I have, I can't help but see Jesus in these passages. I can't help but think that God's going, just wait. If you think this is good, just wait. As I read through the passage of Ruth 4.16, another passage came to mind out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the child that we get to have in our lives, who became a man in Jesus, who died for our sins, who rose again, who gives us ultimate hope and redemption. And that's where we have an advantage, right? Like we know how the story ends. They didn't know how the story was going to end. They didn't know, but they just did what God would have them do. But friends, we know the story. But there are times in our lives where we don't know what God will do next. We don't know what it's going to look like. We may need him to provide. We may need him to show up. We may need the faithfulness of other believers in our lives. We don't know. And in those moments, 
we ought to take heart because we have a God who loves and cares for us. He said, in this life we'll have trouble, but to take heart for he overcame the world and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And Ruth points us to that over and over and over again. Verse 17 continues, the neighbor, the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now, what's interesting here is from the passage, we can't really tell if Boaz and Ruth named the child, if Naomi played a part in naming the child, or if the women in town had some sort of say in the naming of the child. I don't know. All I know is that for Les and I, naming our three kids, it was hard enough for the two of us to come to consensus on names, let alone including extended family and the town. But regardless, the name of the child was Obed. And if we've learned anything from the book of Ruth, we've learned that names have meaning. They're important. They mean something. And Obed is no different. Actually, when we were pregnant and we knew that we were going to have kids, I said to Les that I wanted our kids' names to mean something. And so we decided to name our children after folks who we admired, not because of necessarily who they were, but because of the godly characteristics that we saw on display in their lives. And it was our hope that as our children grew older, those folks would impress those characteristics that we saw in them on our kids. And so as a result of that, we named our First son, Scott, after a good friend of mine. Our second son, Barry, is named after my dad. I get a little emotional about this. And then my daughter, Grace, is named after a dear relative of Leslie, uh, who we respect and admire a lot. And it was our hope that those godly characteristics would be impressed upon our children, and that in so doing, they would be reflected by our kids as they grew up. Now, I don't know if that was the intent of the people uh, here, or if that was the intent of Ruth and Boaz in naming their child Obed. But what I can tell you is that Obed is a very specific characteristic. And it's a characteristic that not many of us think of when we think of mighty and powerful names. We do know this, that before this passage in, in all of the ancient literature and also in, in the Bible itself, up until this point, Obed was not a common name. Not a common name. Because the characteristic isn't one that, again, even we would value oftentimes very highly in our culture. It's not like, I, I said this in the, last mess, or in the last service, and I agree, or I'll say it again, I love the name Hunter. It's such a cool name, because you're like, man, you're tough. You're rugged, right? You just think Hunter, right? He's going to go, like, kill a deer with his bare hands or something. I don't know. But that's not what happened here. That's not what happened with Obed. He was named after a particular characteristic that we say on display repeatedly in the book of Ruth. And then I would say we ultimately see fulfilled in what is his eventual heir in Jesus. Because Obed means servant. Servant. How fitting. How fitting that a book like Ruth comes to culmination in the naming of a son, Obed, the servant. The serving one. The one who serves. Again, we can't help but think about Jesus as we think of the one who ultimately came to seek and save each and every one of us. 
The folks in this passage wouldn't have known what was to come for Obed. In this time, Israel didn't even have a king. This was the time of the judges. But yet, the next couple of verses show us that this family had a pretty prominent role in what was to come. Verses 18 through 22 say this. This is the genealogical record of the ancestor of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Now, if you've not been a Christian for very long, you may not know who David is. But David is destined to become the greatest king in the history of Israel, a man after God's own heart, most revered for his ability to serve his God. And then the Gospel of Matthew tells us that David's son had a son who had a son who had a son, and several generations later, a son was born named Jesus out of this very same line and lineage, thus fulfilling the true servant nature and exemplified through a perfect human being, born as Jesus Christ, he who came to seek and serve each and every one of us. Ruth and Boaz didn't know how this was going to turn out. They couldn't have known. You couldn't have even written this out. But God had a plan. The right thing, the honorable thing, sometimes it was the hard thing, but God was glorified. And in so doing, they played their part. Friends, we get to do the exact same thing. We get to play our part as well. We have no idea what God has done or will do in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. But we do know that we get to partner with him for his honor and for his glory to show his redemption and love to folks who desperately need to see it. As we do so, we'll be living out what is our next step for today? And I'd hope that you would take it with me in the days and weeks to come. It is this, I will play my part for God's glory this week. We can't change our past, and we don't know our future. But we do know that we can partner with God in the present for his honor and for his glory. And we do know that sometimes the right thing, the honorable thing, it's the hard thing, but God is glorified in and through it all. May that be our hope and our prayer as we live this out today and until we see Jesus face to face. Amen? Today, we've talked a lot about service, sacrifice, and if you don't yet know Jesus, some of this may sound very foreign to you, and that's okay. Each and every one of us in this room at one point did not know Jesus, and this sounded very foreign to us too. But as we come into relationship with Jesus, as the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in our lives, we come to understand He teaches us, He renews us, and we come to understand more of who He is and what we get to do as a result, as we get to serve Him, love Him, and He changes and transforms us from the inside out. If that's you here today, I'd encourage you. If you don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, why not do so today? We have the opportunity today to participate in the Lord's Supper. 
We have what's known as an open table here at New Life, which means if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we'd invite you to participate with us. So why not take that next step? The offer is before you of a God who loves you more than life itself, who will give you hope for today, tomorrow, to transform your life into all that he wants you to be. We say it's simple here at New Life, but not easy. But it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We simply admit that we're sinners, we're in need of a Savior and Lord in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is ultimately the Son of God, which means that he saves us from sin and death, and Lord means that he's our owner. He gets to tell us what to do. And then we confess. We confess our need for Jesus. We confess our sins, and then we commit to living for him in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I would invite you at that time that if you'd like to take that next step, simply pray a prayer similar to what I'm praying and fully commit yourself to a God who has given all to redeem each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your gift of salvation, for your love, for your sacrifice, for all that you've modeled throughout the years, for those who have gone before and those who will come after who will live faithful lives for your honor and your glory, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask and pray right now for anyone who is in this room who doesn't yet know you, that you would open their hearts, that you would minister to their spirits, that you would speak to them, drawing them to yourself. And Lord, that in this moment that they would accept you fully, that they would admit that their sinner is in need of a Savior, that they would believe in you as the Savior and Lord Jesus, the man who is fully God. And that they would confess their need for you, confessing all of their sin, laying it at your feet, and committing to follow you from this day forth. Lord, for those of us that do know you, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we too would be changed and transformed into the image of your Son with ever-increasing measure every day, living godly lives that exemplify all of who you are for your honor, for your glory. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.